Hello, and welcome to the Sky U Podcast by The Daily Gopher. I'm Chris, Go AU Fur. With me this week is Andy, Gopher Guy 05. Hello, hello. And U Street. Hey, y'all. All right, so short hiatus for us, but we are back. Uh, we've got some good stuff to talk about, what with the spring game, an extension for Coach Patino, and uh, the hunt for grad transfer basketball players continues. Additionally, I believe softball is still good. Andy, is softball still good? Uh, that is a positive, yes, softball is still good. Sweet. All right, so we get to find out why softball is still good. Uh, spring game. Uh, Street, I'm going to turn it over to you since I think you were the only one who watched the entire thing. Andy also watched it and wrote the article, but I did I did watch the entire thing. I was, I was our Wait. intrepid reporter to start with. I want to be abundantly clear. I actually thought that Street wrote the article. Like, I literally didn't read the byline on it. Well, it's good to know that you are not the only man. You are another managing editor who does not actually read our blog. I'd like to say something right now, but I don't want whoever ends up editing this to have to check the explicit box, so I won't. <laughs> yep. Okay, well... We start with me, street. though. What would you like to know about the spring game? <laughs> <laughs> um, who are we supposed to anoint as the new savior based solely on, like, two plays? I assume Jacob Clark, since I think he only had two passes, one of which was, like, a 60-yard touchdown. Okay, based on that, Jacob Clark is winning the Heisman. Is that correct? I, I Not just the Heisman, also the Davey O'Brien winner and the Ray Guy Award. Because in the Big Ten, you're nothing if you don't also <laughs> win the punter of the year. I mean, he could be really good at the quick kick. Certainly possible. I, Jacob Herbers looked good. Again, the actual kicking game is interesting. The I think it was, was it Brock Walker, Andy? What's the what's the walk-on kicker's name? Yeah, that'd be uh, Brock Walker from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Yeah, he missed a he missed a chipper, so that wasn't great. Otherwise, I think it was a pretty normal spring game. It was positive. They scored some points. Nobody got injured. Neither quarterback did enough to say that's obviously the starter going into the fall. Both of them had interceptions. Annex day was because Clay Geary did not have strong enough hands. And so I think it was Coney Durham made a good play. And then Tanner Morgan, I'm still unclear as to what he was looking at. I think he forgot what team he was briefly playing for and threw a pass directly to Thomas Rush, who returned it for a touchdown. Rashad Bateman spent most of the day beating whatever defensive back was put on him, which is very exciting. Tyler Johnson seemed to be on the field for about three plays, promptly caught a pass, and then immediately got off the field as to not get injured. Otherwise, uh, Terrell Smith had an end around on offense because every running back was injured. Daniel Fa'alele had a touchdown, and it was awesome, and I'm super excited for the read option inverted veer package with Seth Green and Daniel Fa'alele. So you, you made one factual error in your commentary that I actually caught enough of the spring game tweets to be able to correct. That uh, interception was not uh, Durr, it was Howden. Ah, I'm sorry, Jordan. That's my bad. It was a really good play by Jordan Howden to it rip, was. Rip, the, rip the ball and, and move forward on the play. It was not a tremendously well-thrown pass by Zach Anikstead, though as poor as that pass was it was a bit behind the receiver the receiver should have caught it and it was nowhere near as bad as tanner morgan's interception i think like every spring game this is definitely one and andy may or may not agree i'm not sure he wrote an article that i may or may not have read that 
that this spring game is basically whatever you thought going in is exactly what you think going out. Yeah, you know, I'd sort of agree with that. Um, you know, I think um, I, I think to, to sort of double down on that, it, it really sort of emphasized the points that we all agreed on and didn't bring up any major questions. Um, I think, you know, mostly rationally but slightly irrationally, we're getting giddy at the thought of our wide receiver group going into next season, and nothing that Rashad Bateman and or Tyler Johnson did had any effect to dampen that at all. Um Legitimately, the Gopher probably have their best one-two receiver punch in, God, I can't even think how long. Probably Ron Johnson and uh, whoever Ron Johnson's. uh, (laughs) Maybe Eric Decker. Did Logan Payne overlap with Eric Decker? No, Payne was before Decker. Decker, That's why Decker was so good, is Decker was on an island, and Weber literally did not throw to anybody but Eric Decker for three years. Do Do we have Ernie and Decker together at all? Maybe, maybe that is a maybe man. yeah. So that might be the if 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 that overlapped, that would be the last time, and that would still be a stretch for the for the because obviously Decker's clearly you know up there, uh, but as a twosome, that would be a stretch because this Ernie Wheelwright was not the greatest at all times. Yeah, there's also a reasonably good argument to be made that our one two should be drafted. Whether or not they be drafted in a at a high round is an open question. But the fact is both of them are NFL caliber wide receivers. And depending on how you look at it, either Chris Altman Bell or Demetrius Douglas is your third or fourth option. Both of them showed plenty of signs last year of being a excellent third option. Chris Altman Bell in particular on those kind of deep routes. So especially the kind of read option that seems to have a tag, the go tag, and if Altman Bell gets open, you just bomb it to him, did well. So the receiving core is going to look pretty good. I'm still not totally sure yet if they've got a quarterback to actually pass it to them, but that's a much better problem, I suppose, in some level than the receiving core is terrible and they don't have a quarterback who can pass it to them. So do we buy that the tight ends are actually going to be in the passing game this year? Because they seemed, based on you know what... I saw on Twitter and what I now acknowledge was Andy's article uh, to have been more active in the offense, at least for the spring game. You know, I think they've been, they've been hyping up that, or at least the people that sort of presume to have knowledge of that have been hyping up that, that Kirk Chirac has been wanting to get the tight ends more involved, especially as we add a couple of downfield threats. Um, and he saw that a little bit in the ball ga- in the uh, bowl game, excuse me, as well, where they went to uh, Jake Paulson a little bit more. Um, I, I, think they really want to get Devin Spanford or Brevin Spanford into the uh, into the action this fall uh you know they uh, preserved his red shirt last year so he'll come in as a red shirt freshman and he's you know he's basically your receiver slash tight end he's got a receiver type body but um you know can play play inside as well and I think uh, they'll look up the middle of the field for him quite a few times here this fall um you know It'll be interesting to see because each of the three gopher tight ends who are going to play a lot all sort of have their own individual roles. They they don't, you know, overlap much. Spanford is definitely going to be your pass catcher. Um, Paulson might be more of your, you know, he can do a little bit of A, a little B, and then obviously when Coquift is in the game, he's pretty much your blocker H-back type. He's not going to be really the guy who's going to end up going deep for a pass or anything like that so it'll be interesting to see as we get more into the fall exactly how they mix up those positional groups and, and matchups and, and try and take advantage of, of one another um you know going back to the quarterbacks like we said you know um 
nothing obviously was solved. Uh, you've got Morgan looked decent at times. You had Annex Ed look decent at times. Uh, Annex Ed maybe a little more success with the deep ball. Uh, Morgan was maybe a little bit more accurate on the intermediate routes. Um, you know, I think it's honestly going to come to come to be, you know, mid mid August decision before PJ makes a decision on this. Um, they both have their faults. They both have their positives. Um, you know, I don't think I don't think anybody wants to hear it. I think somebody really wants somebody to take the reins and run with it. But I wouldn't be half surprised if uh, if we see a lot of them sort of splitting action again here this fall. But uh, you know, and one one more big positive. Um, at least offensively, before we can go to the defense a little bit more. But um, uh, I don't think there's any doubt, again, the spring game sort of reinforcing things we already know, but Mohamed Ibrahim is the best third-string running back in the country, bar none. Is he even third-string at this point, Like, given that both of the other supposed first- and second-strings are coming back off of injury? Well, you know, I mean, I guess that'll be something we'll have to see, but supposedly everybody says that both Rodney Smith and uh, Shannon Brooks are going to be back 100% by midsummer and ready for fall camp. So, um, you know, I, I honestly, I think it's a, it's a crapshoot to see how they split up the carries this fall. I think, I think Rodney probably will move back into the alpha spot and uh, take the majority of everything. But, uh, you know, I could definitely see Ibrahim pushing and, 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 stealing some of Brooks's carries maybe, but I mean, the one game we saw from Shannon Brooks last year, he was electric once he, you know, as long as he hung on to the football, but I mean, running, we, we didn't, nobody on the Gopher roster could run like he could when he was healthy. So, um, I think we're just going to have an absolute, you know, group of, of incredibly talented people at that spot. And, and PJ's just going to have to pick and choose how he wants to use them. The other thing that'll be interesting for fall camp, assuming that everyone is healthy, and I will admit to being wildly skeptical that that will be true for Shannon Brooks, but if everyone is healthy, Rodney Smith gives you a pass-catching threat. They didn't really ever show that with Brooks and not a lot with Ibrahim. If Ibrahim's developed a an ability to really do the screen game well, then I would actually say he's cemented, in my view, as the second as the second person and then brooks is kind of your absolute power back like i need to get three yards on this play because it's very difficult to tackle and we can always break one but i think especially with the injuries that brooks has suffered it would seem odd that he would be getting anywhere near the majority of the carries also bryce williams is not a bad four string running back either this is a this is a very pleasant problem to have it is an excellent problem to have. Uh, defensively, uh, Strehu, like, what did you love most about what you saw defensively? Boy Mafe looks like he might be a legitimate defensive end. A little bit is hard to tell because he was going against Sam Schluter and Jason Dixon a lot. That might say something about how we feel about our left tackle position. But he had a really good bowl game, seems to have continued that, put on good strength and size, appears to be uh, picking up some more moves, and is really, really fast. So that that was exciting. Carter Coughlin remains also a really excellent rush end, but is you know moving more back to kind of a linebacker position. I would suspect, and we've heard this, that the defense is going to look weird all the time. So it might be a 4-3, a 3-4, 4-2-5, whatever they're basing might be a purely matchup personnel. I would be surprised if it doesn't look a lot like a 4-3. 
and on passing downs, I would be particularly surprised if it wasn't Boymaf on one side and Carter Coughlin on the other side on the ends. So that that I think was a, a positive. Thomas Rush had a solid spring game, which is good because uh, you need more help at the linebacker position. Thomas Barber played very sparingly, and when he did, he was excellent. I expect him to have a really good senior season. The defensive backs, I think, are still an open question. There's a lot of competition at those spots, plus fall camp coming in. It would be very nice if somebody won the safety spot outside uh, off Antoine Winfield very quickly. That would that would be the one thing that I would look for in fall camp. Andy, what was your big takeaway or takeaways from watching the defense? Yeah, you know, I think uh, I think as Alex said, Mafe is really somebody who sort of stood out, and he everything we've been hearing from campus, he's had a really good spring, and and he's sort of cementing himself as that uh, that other side defensive end, uh, along with you know whether Coughlin's there or whether it's uh, or whether it's Oconee or somebody else. Um, you know, defensive line is going to be interesting. Uh, nobody, none of our ever new uh, D tackles really stood out uh, in the spring game. Now, not that that means anything, but you know, you didn't you didn't see any flashes from uh, from the Cheneys or from the uh, uh, Dutreadaway or anybody like that. So, um, I think that'll be something to watch early is to see if we have uh, anybody who wants to really stand out in that that D tackle spot and earn that time. Um, you know, as, as we said, our linebackers are, are going to be good. You're playing the same group of linebackers that you've had for a while, minus, minus Cashman, who's all of a sudden looking like he might be taken in the third or fourth round of the NFL draft, which if you had said that a year ago, I think we all would have laughed in your face. Um, but you know, you've got Barber, you've got Kamal Martin, you've got Coughlin, uh, and, and we saw Thomas Rush is looking like he'll be able to fill in really well. Uh, Braylon Oliver, while not flashing during the spring game, sounds like he's starting to figure out things. And so, um, you know, you lose that senior group after this year, but it sounds like between, uh, Sorio Martin and Oliver and Rush, we've, we've got a good group ready to, to step in and take those spots. Um, and then, and then the secondary, uh, you know, as long as Antoine Winfield stays healthy, you've got one anchor. Um, I think it's going to be an interesting competition for both the corner and that other safety spot. Coney Durr's in the mix. Chris Williamson's in the mix. Um, Terrell Smith probably will see most of the playing time on one side. Um, that safety spot between Howden and, and Benny Sapp, um, as, as, as Street said, it would be nice to get things figured out, uh, pretty quick into fall camp so that you've got a, a good solid normal rotation when you start playing games but uh you know all in all i think uh we saw quite a few positives this weekend and uh, i think we feel pretty good about uh things looking up for for this fall and now we just need everybody to try and stay healthy and if uh, we can get our first teamers on the field for a majority of the 12 games of the season uh, I'm, I'm feeling pretty pretty excited about this fall is the new practice facility more important for recruiting or the fact that we actually have something we can film a spring game in when the weather turns sour? Because there's no way they would have been able to do this whole, like, BTN comes and films in that old facility. Um, I mean, I'll still say it's the recruiting. Um, you know, in, in this climate, you need to have a good winter facility and it's it's rather impressive i mean as, as somebody who's been in there a couple of times it's it's really really impressive facility um but you're exactly right had uh 
had, had they still been in the old indoor facility, it would have been interesting to see what exactly would have happened with the spring game. Because uh, yeah, no, there's no way you're letting cameras in that in that old facility, and um, you know, it, it while while it was a okay forty degree cloudy day on Saturday, it, it there still would have been plenty of uh, plenty of snow out there, and and I'm sure there were in the in the seats and the bleachers at TCF, so it would have been a, a big time mess. But luckily, they uh, didn't have to make that decision. All right, moving to basketball. Street, was the extension of Richard Pitino a great move or a terrible move? I suppose if it's that binary, I guess it was a great move. <laughs> All right, what do you think of the extension of Richard Pitino? The primary thing that I think about the extension is that the buyout got drastically reduced for both sides, which is the thing that actually mattered. People seem to forget Patino wasn't going anywhere next year. It wasn't like if he wasn't extended that everything was terrible. He had a contract for another three years. So this just puts two more on top. But the negotiating contract reduces the buyout substantially on the University of Minnesota side and also for Patino as well. And I think you want to be in a situation where both sides can move on if they don't want to so that that's the first thing so that from a contractual perspective secondly while i find it ludicrous to believe that recruits and their families especially top recruits in this day and age aren't able to think even slightly rationally about the lunacy that is contract extensions when coaches get fired all the time or coaches move all the time without a problem having those extra two years does also mean that any recruit for this cycle and the next cycle should they stay all four years will have Richard Pitino as their head coach in this magical world where nothing changes over the next four years so that I think is a positive as well the third bit which seems to be true is that the extension got done and none of the of assistants have moved now obviously the spring isn't over yet certainly you could see movement happening but if all three assistants stay and patino stays i think that's particularly important because you need continuity in recruiting particularly from a relationship building standpoint i also think ed conroy rob jeter and kyle instead seem to complement each other pretty well on the assistant side of the house all of that was positive. Negatives is it's unclear to me why it took so long to get this extension. And what I mean by that is there isn't really any actual movement that occurred from the end of the tournament or really for that matter the end of the Big Ten tournament and when the extension was finally signed. Now, I'm sure there's hardball back and forth. I imagine both sides are looking for outside options. There are a variety of things that may happen in a negotiation. But if the presumption is that Mark Coyle liked Richard Pitino and was going to continue to keep Richard Pitino around and they had this relationship, it would have been much more helpful, I think, for all involved if the extension had at least been announced during the NCAA tournament much less uh, much less perhaps immediately after as opposed to when it was so that part of the extension i think was negative mostly that's a news cycle so it's actually water under the bridge doesn't seem to have affected the ability to get sam freeman to to come and it doesn't seem like the loss of grant Sherfield to wichita state had really anything to do with patino's situation one way or the other but i do think that that was a talking point that probably could have been avoided by both sides andy what was your big takeaway from the extension yeah, you know, it, it, it sort of is uh, 
it's one of those things and you don't know exactly how far uh the gossip's traveling i mean if you're if you're one of us who's into the following the gossip and things like that there was some rumors that patino was maybe flirting with the arkansas job and or or whether he was using that as as bargaining leverage or something like that and you know i agree with street on that one is that you know if they if they wanted to get it done they could have got it done earlier and announced it and, and and avoided that whole thing but but how much does that really go to the general public and the recruits and things like that or is it just the people that follow the message boards and 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 look at that you know um so it may not have nearly the effect that some people may think it may have but um you know patino's in in for another couple of years the buyout stays relatively stable so that's good um you know the, the question will be is is what can he do he's got to finish this recruiting cycle relatively strong which we'll get to in a, in a minute here um and you know the best the best thing for his possible outcome that could happen is is that amir coffee decides to return uh next season and not sign a professional contract um i mean we all pretty much realize that he's probably not going to get drafted that this moment in time so it's the question of whether he decides to sign a two-way deal or whether he decides to come back to school um but this team will be drastically less potent if he is not on this roster come uh, come october so that may or may make or break the way that patino's 10 years looked at if if he comes back and and he can get the gophers back to the ncaa tournament again next season then this extension will be looked favorably if the gophers take a step back and don't make another trip to the tournament um i think you're going to hear a lot of grumbling um just like you had from from teague or maturi when they gave out some of these extensions that weren't really warranted and and uh, it'll be the same old argument of oh the u of m's on the hook again for they gave the extension and, and all of a sudden things went poorly and things like that so um i think next season will really be a make or break year for the uh the public face of of this extension well unless i'm wrong if they were to fire him after next year, they actually owe him less money than they would have under the old contract. Am I wrong about that? You are not wrong on that. How much less they owe him is a bit of an open question, but I think it is certainly the case that if Patino's buyout had been substantially less than it was, that Mark Coyle probably would have kicked the tires unless he really liked him. You can actually see this argument going the other way, incidentally, with Rick Barnes, the UCLA tennessee situation where rick barnes's buyout is so high that ucla doesn't end up moving i think that's why i think part of what's good about this contract is the buyouts reduced on both sides i don't as someone who thinks that player movement should be free and the coaches should move if they don't like something and all those other things if someone wants to pay it i think it's helpful to have both sides moving but yeah unquestionably this is a more favorable buyout structure for the university of minnesota than it was under the old contract all right well i'm going to just put my marker down now then and say anybody who's complaining about this extension if they fire patino or if patino struggles and there's talk of him being fired is either a an idiot or b one disingenuous motherfucker looks like we're gonna have to put that explicit (laughs) tag on Uh, i was just gonna say and i i think now, now I feel even worse, asshole. <laughs> um, all right, well, recruiting. Do we want to start with, like, 
like the caring is creepy recruiting or the we want to steal your grad transfer recruiting? I mean, both are creepy, but at least one is of people who are, you know, adults. Uh, I think if you look at it, the actual commitment news is that Sam Freeman, who is a high schooler out of Texas, committed. He's probably going to be a backup five, appears to have gained a lot of weight, so is now up to about 230, 6'10". Highlight video makes him look quite athletic. If you're looking for like what is your most optimistic scenario for Sam Freeman, you're looking at a potentially less skilled Daniel Oturo, which is not a bad thing to back up actual Daniel Oturo. So that's positive. They are also looking at a couple of grad transfers, and by a couple, I mean literally every grad transfer they seem to be calling. But the two that they are pursuing perhaps more heavily than others, one of which is a power forward out of Drexel, who averaged about 15 points, back to the basket, four-man, pretty big, seems to be a decent rebounder, not necessarily the greatest defender, but that would allow you to actually have some solid mass, if nothing else, at the power forward position. And then with the loss of the recruiting battle for Grant Sherfield, who may have been a two, but probably would have been looking like a one at the college level or certainly a combo guard, the Gophers are very much in need of at least a grad transfer to back up the point guard position. The other recruit, as Andy mentioned, that is perhaps the biggest recruit for the spring is will Amir Coffey return? Because if Amir Coffey does return, your starting five looks like a tournament team. And Trey Williams has blown up as a recruit, so that's a solid someone off the off the bench as well as Peyton Willis. And then if you picked up this Drexel kid, you would actually have some some depth at the four position. That's a pretty good team in and of itself. They're also trying to get a kid out of Germany who I believe his name is Isaiah Innen, but it's a name that I'm not going to pretend to be saying correctly until he actually commits and I find a pronunciation guide. So apologies. All right. Who seems to be sort of a wing, but 6'9", had interest from a lot of teams. It seems right now to be between down Minnesota and TCU. This would be the carrying his creepy section of the recruiting fish. But I think he would be uh, definitely a certainly three, four-year player, has a lot of skills. The sort of upside for him is perhaps a less skilled Amir Coffey, and the downside for him is Charles Bugs. Which, if he shows up for one game against Iowa, maybe that's fine. <laughs> would certainly help me out um andy like i don't know are you are you feel how are you feeling about recruiting because I, I the general take i'm hearing from people is underwhelmed yeah you know i mean i don't i don't claim to be an expert when it comes to basketball recruiting but uh you know the trey williams commit obviously is huge and uh sam freeman you know, it, it was down to Minnesota, Virginia Tech, and all of a sudden you had Buzz Williams leaving Virginia Tech, so that definitely gave the Gophers a big advantage there. Um, you know, Sherfield picking Wichita State over Minnesota, um, you know, that one you, you feel a little bit um, worse about, especially considering his high school coach is on the Gophers staff. Uh, there were three relatively highly rated players from uh, Sunrise Academy in, in Wichita that uh, Kyle Lingblatt uh was their coach for several years and then now I've been on the Gophers staff for a year and uh, none of them ended up picking Minnesota. Um, actually, one of them picked Minnesota and then decommitted and then went to Missouri instead. But, um, you know, uh, I think there's still plenty of time to, to 
close out the class and, and find some uh, sign some players are going to play a big role for the Gophers in the next year or two. Um, you know, you don't you don't fully expect Minnesota to be in on some of these major transfers coming out, but you look at like. Uh, you know, the, you got the Hauser brothers from Marquette who decided they were going to transfer. Uh, Marquette's second and third leading scorer. Um, there was some steam that Wisconsin might have a chance, or maybe Virginia because they're from Stevens Point. Uh, and the Bennett family is obviously very connected in Stevens Point. Um, now it sounds like Michigan State might be the leader. Of course, the rich just getting richer as they can have two kids who average double figures as a junior, as a freshman, sit out a year and all of a sudden... Michigan State's fully loaded again in 2020, which is just, you know, whatever. But, um, you know, it would be nice to see Minnesota try and get a big impact guy. This uh, this kid from Drexel sounds like he's, you know, he's not going to be a, a Jordan Murphy-esque, you know, double-double machine, but at least he can give you some heft in the, in the post and, and, you know, score a few baskets and, and get a few rebounds for you. But, uh, you know, I, I, as I said, you know, I think this is going to be a really big year for Richard Pitino and, and public opinion towards him and towards this contract extension. And so he really would be beneficial for everybody to try and find one or two more big pieces here before uh, before the recruiting season closes and can really make at least some type of impact on the court next fall. All right, transitioning to softball. The last time we talked about softball, they had the program record high for RPI, I believe eight. Uh, I know the concern has always been uh, you get that program high RPI and then you play the Big Ten slate and things start to take a nosedive. Andy, how are things looking on the rankings front for softball? Well, so far so good. The Gophers dropped there now number nine in the most recent RPI that came out on Sunday. But uh, that's actually fairly a positive situation considering uh, the Gophers ended up sweeping Michigan State in a doubleheader on Sunday. Uh, they only played two of the of the scheduled three games this weekend due to our weather apocalypse that happened towards the end of last week. Um which is both a positive and a negative. Uh, a positive in the fact that Michigan State had the worst RPI of any team in the Big Ten, and so you're not damaged by having to play a third game against that team and have your RPI potentially drop due to strength of schedule issues. Um, the negative being now the Gophers are one game back uh, in games played in the Big Ten standings. Northwestern leads the conference at 12-0. and uh, Michigan's 11-1. and The Gophers are 10-1. and um, And if it becomes... You know, if it comes down to the end of the year and, say, Northwestern drops off and, and Michigan and Minnesota end up tied with one loss, if Michigan ends up playing that one extra game, they would be the uh, Big Ten regular season crowd, crowd crown winners due to uh, per- winning percentage. So, um, in, in some ways, that's a, it's a downfall for the Gophers if you want to see them win a, uh, another regular season Big Ten championship. But... Um, RPI wise, it sort of is a, is a positive. Um, you know, it, it, like I said, they're, they're still playing well. Um, Amber Pfizer, their ace is, uh, she picked up wins in both games, starting one and the other one in release relief on Sunday. Um, but she's really their only pitcher they can trust right now. Um, Sydney Smith is another senior pitcher, but she got roughed up by Michigan state and the couple innings she pitched on Sunday. Uh, so the Gophers are sitting sort of where they are. Is they could win a Big Ten title and they could 
get a decent spot in the NCAA tournament, but if you've only got one pitcher you can trust going into a double elimination tournament, um, you're going to have to steal one somewhere uh, because you can't throw Pfizer every single game. And uh, so their bats are going to have to come alive. That's that's one positive is, is all of a sudden Minnesota's hitting the ball and saying McKenna Partain was named the Big Ten Player of the Week this week. Uh, she went... Six for seven on the weekend, three doubles, a triple, a home run, knocked in four runs, added a pair of stolen bases. Uh, it's not a bad doubleheader right there. She leads the Big Ten in runs per game, 1.1, and, and in triples on the year. So, uh, you know, you got Partain at hitting the ball at a potential Big Ten player of the year rate. You've got Pfizer throwing at a potentially a Big Ten pitcher of the year rate. So things are going well for the Gophers in conference. It's just going to be, can they get over that hump and... Uh, see what they can do when we get to the the tournament that matters here later in may all right so this is normally where i you know share some failure with the deliciousness that is hello fresh but i'm actually going to highlight one of the selling points of hello fresh which is when you get really busy slash lazy slash ordering out a lot you can actually pause your hello fresh on a weekly basis so they don't send you anything and then you don't have to feel bad about failing to cook it properly. It just doesn't. It just doesn't arrive. Note: We are still not, still not sponsored by HelloFresh. And sh- that's completely shocking, given that I'm now talking about how you can avoid paying the money. <laughs> I can't imagine why they haven't sponsored us yet. So, just in case you're wondering, you can pause your HelloFresh subscription. Uh, through their very convenient app, which I'm actually serious. It's actually a nice app. So don't don't think this is all like a, a joking bit. The app is actually quality. And on that, you know, exciting note that we're still not sponsored by HelloFresh. Go Gophers. Sky Yuma. Row the boat. Go Gophers. Row the boat.